how CIOs are rethinking digital transformations, tech innovations that are transforming our lives, best practices in supply chain automation, and SAP implementation failure epidemics. That's what we're going to talk about today in episode number 118 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 118. This is the podcast that comes out every week, every Wednesday, that discusses all things related to digital transformation, including the strategy, people, process, and technology sides of change. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. And my co-host, as always, is Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited for today's episode. As am I, as always. Great show we've got in store for you today. Some great guests and uh, great conversation. Uh, we're going to start off with some questions and answers from our audience, uh, as we always do. We'll draw from the uh, the question jar that's pulled from our social media accounts and answer some audience questions. We'll also get into four ways that CIOs are rethinking digital transformation here in the 2020s, as well as six sciences and tech innovations that have the ability to transform our lives. Those are a couple of the hot topics we'll open up with in the opening segment. And then later in the show, we're going to have Dominic Lin, who is a vice president of strategy and transformation out of our third stage consulting Europe office based in the UK. Uh, he's going to be on the show talking about best practices in supply chain automation and digital transformation. Very broad topic, very relevant topic, but we're going to have him on the show talking about uh, what you should be thinking about as you think about your supply chain transformation. And then later in the show, last but not least, we'll have Adam Cheatham, who is Managing Director of Strategy and Transformation here in our North American headquarter office in uh, Denver. And he's going to be on the show talking about SAP implementation failure epidemics or the SAP implementation failure epidemic that we're starting to see here in 2023 that seems to be gaining quite a bit of steam. So we'll have that conversation with him later in the show. But before we get started or before we bring our guest on the show, what uh, what questions do you have for me to, to get us started here, Kyler? Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get started. And they're not just for you, Eric, no offense, but they're also for the audience. So wherever you're joining today, if you can engage and drop your two cents in the comments, it's really helpful to create that dialogue. Also, just a reminder on any um, platform in which you follow Eric or Third Stage, I do go in and pull out specific questions. So if you'd like to ask Eric a question on this podcast, you can tag me at Kyler Cheatham um, on any platform that you're joining us from today, and I will be sure to ask them. So let's get into it. This will take some of the pressure off me too by having the audience answer the questions. That way, I know, I, I know, watch the answer. and I, I have to start. <laughs> right, right. If you you get a little out there, and I have to start. Eric has created a trend. It's called Elvis versus Beatles. If you've been joining on some of his um, recent live streams or any sort of engagement, so we have to start every episode now for at least the next couple with Elvis 
versus the Beatles? Would you rather listen to Elvis for the rest of your life or would you rather listen to the Beatles for the rest of your life? So drop that little would you rather in there while we start. And in, and to give credit where credit is due, you actually started that that uh, trend in last week's episode. So we'll keep it going, but uh, thank you for giving me credit for something I didn't come up with. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I can't take credit either because that wasn't one of my questions. It was one of our audience questions. And that's why, you know, we asked oh. you guys for all the good content because we like to steal it and repurpose it and, you know, re-engage with it. So it was actually one of our audience excellent oh, questions okay. I did not realize when it that. came in. Yeah. So thank you for whomever asked that. You you can have all the props there. And we're going to create a hashtag, hashtag Elvis versus Beatles. So on anywhere like you're joining. It. <laughs> It'll be trending here soon enough. Yeah. So this, um, this question is from your YouTube channel. And it was a longer question that I kind of summarized um, because I think it's a, a really, really interesting um, talk track here. So what is the value of having all the modules in an ERP package, accounting, finance, um, manufacturing, all of the different modules from a single ERP vendor versus a variety of different modules from maybe best of breed vendors or those types of things? Yeah. So in general, historically, the benefit of an integrated ERP system is that you have modules that tie together relatively seamlessly. It's never seamless, really, but it's, it's more seamless than if you have a best of breed solution, or at least it can be. Um, a lot of this depends, though, on the vendor you're talking about, because some vendors are more integrated or some products are more integrated than others. If you look at a product like, um, let's say, NetSuite, Oracle NetSuite, that's a very integrated product. I mean, it was built from the ground up with these different modules built in the cloud. It's it's pretty mature product. Say what you will about the pros and cons or whether or not it's the right fit for certain organizations, but as a product, it's pretty solid in terms of providing that integration. But then you look at other systems, like I'll, I'll pick on uh, SAP and Infor as two examples. Those are two two companies or two vendors that offer a similarly integrated ERP system with multiple modules, but most or many of those modules were acquired in acquisitions and they're really standalone systems that just happen to be owned by the same vendor. So you have to distinguish between a really integrated product versus an integrated vendor that's selling you multiple products and trying to sell you as though it's a single integrated product. For example, if you go with SAP um, and you're implementing HR technology and procurement, you're probably going to implement SAP S4HANA as the core ERP, but then you're going to end up with Ariba as their procurement solution. You're probably going to end up with success factors as their HR or HCM solution. You might end up with Concur as the time and expense reporting solution. These are standalone systems that, yes, they've built integration points with the core S4HANA platform, but for all practical purposes, it's a best of breed option. It just so happens that SAP owns all those those options. So you, you have to be careful and not overstate the benefit of buying products from one vendor when, in fact, you might be getting a best of breed solution. So there can be benefit, but you just have to make sure you're, you're looking at the right vendor. And is that a risk when you're in the evaluation process that a vendor might try and sell you, say, modules that might not be the best match for your business um, when it comes to selecting a, a core ERP? Yeah, if you think about it, if if you're a sales rep from a software uh, company and you've got someone, you've got a you've got a bite on the hook here. You've got someone who's interested in buying your product. Why sell them five or ten modules when you can sell them fifteen or twenty modules? Um, and that's sort of the mentality that most vendors and sales reps are going to have. 
So yes, they're going to push and overstate the benefit of buying from one vendor. They'll probably give you some sweets or uh, something that seems like a sweet pricing deal. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll tell you it's one throat to choke. You're getting one vendor. You shouldn't have multiple vendors, uh, that sort of thing. And that may be true in some cases or in many cases, but there's going to be other cases where you might be better off with the best breed or mixing and matching different solutions. It's not always ideal. There's risk to that as well, but there's also risk to the single integrated ERP platform as well. And that's that's a topic that I've covered in a recent uh, YouTube video on my YouTube channel as well, if you want to learn more about that. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll pop that link here in wherever you're joining um, from the chat. So I put this very long question in here a couple weeks ago, so I feel like we have to get to it, but I don't even remember what it um, it says. So we'll all find out together. This should so, be good. Um, I know. It's a, like a half sheet of paper. So, um, so this is comment and question. Consultants can't change your business processes and your people. You can't rely on consultants to be successful as a company, you must commit to their people and their time. So more of a comment, but wanted to kind of bring that out in saying the importance or kind of identifying the role of the consultant when it comes to their influence and their circle of influence and actually creating change within a digital transformation or company culture in general. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a great question. And it's one of the things that can be frustrating for some consultants, and it can also be frustrating for companies that hire consultants in that consultants can't change a business process or or can't change a company. They can certainly make recommendations and do the analysis and make recommendations around how they think the organization should change, and a good consultant will do that. But at the end of the day, it's ultimately the organization itself that makes those decisions, and sometimes they listen to consultants, sometimes they don't. And if you think about it, um, you know, a, a organization should not blindly listen to any consultants, especially all the consultants they hire, especially ones that have self-interest or motivated by, you know, their own economic incentives um, to sell more software or sell more technical consulting services or whatever the case may be. There's always a self-serving incentive that you just need to be aware of. So, um, so yeah, I, I agree with that comment. I think it's something that you can, um, you know, you, you, you can ensure that you, you're you're getting the value out of consultants, but ultimately you have to make the decisions at the end of the day. Absolutely. Very, very well said. And interested to hear from the audience on that. Is it incredibly frustrating when you can't get a business to change or when you have a bunch of consultants? So let us know your experience in the comments here. Um, let's do one more here. So this is kind of on the along uh, along the lines, excuse me, of the best of breed versus single ERP kind of different scenarios. What about the cost difference between best of breed best of breed and single ERP, especially when it comes to the customizations that are needed when you look at a bunch of different solutions and interacting together? Yeah, that's a very real cost and consideration you need to factor into your analysis of your different options for sure. But I'd argue too that there is also a hidden cost in addition to the hidden cost or the potential hidden cost of customizing and integrating solutions or multiple solutions. Um, you also have the hidden cost of trying to force fit an integrated ERP system that just by definition, yes, it's fully integrated or it can be fully integrated, but it's probably not going to give you every capability you need in every part of your business. You're going to end up making trade-offs and there's going to be costs associated with that. 
It might be that you have to customize that software, that that integrated ERP software to better fit your business, or it could be that you change your business to fit the software, or it could be a combination of both. Uh, either case, though, in any case, there's going to be a cost associated with that. So I, I think oftentimes when industry analysts and pundits and consultants talk about the best of breed model, I think they overstate the risk and the cost of the integration and the customization associated with tying together multiple uh, best of breed systems. And like I said before, and in earlier, in the earlier question, even when you're buying from one vendor like SAP, Infor, um, Oracle, you know any of those types of vendors, you're buying a best of breed solution. It just so, so happens that that software vendor owns multiple systems, but yet they'll try to sell it as though it's a fully integrated ERP system when it really it's not. So I think you just have to go in with eyes wide open and be aware that there's a trade-off, there's risk, and there's hidden costs associated with either path. And if someone's trying to tell you that there is no hidden cost or one of those options is a is inherently better or a silver bullet to answer all your problems or, or questions, then, then I would take that with a grain of salt for certain. Absolutely. There are no silver bullets, folks. Definitely no silver bullets. They are not. Um, so our audience question of the week here that I want everyone to comment on is what is the most expensive part of an implementation? So drop in your comments there and I'm going to create a little poll for next week and we'll look at that and then we'll ask Eric what he thinks um, after we get all of that audience insight. So it's a great question. I know. I know. I'm excited to see our answers here. <laughs> yeah. Likewise. I'm curious to see how people respond to that. And thank you for the engagement and helping take some of the pressure off me and answering these questions. I'm curious to read the comments and answers you all have to some of these questions that, that Kyler's um, provided to us here today. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this opening segment by getting into a couple hot topics. We're going to talk about how CIOs are rethinking digital transformations as well as some tech innovations that have the ability to transform our lives. And then later in the show, we are going to have Dominic Lin on the show, who's a vice president of strategy and transformation at Third Stage Consulting's European office based in Maidenhead, UK, right outside of London. He's going to be on the show talking about best practices in supply chain automation and digital transformation. And then later in the show, we'll have our managing director uh, based out of our North American office, uh, Adam Cheatham who's going to be on the show talking about SAP implementation failures and the SAP failure ec epidemic that we're currently facing. And uh, we, uh, you may not have realized we are facing an epidemic. We're going to talk about that here later today. So uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology-agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 118. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham, and you can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday 
streaming to LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as on audio podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever podcast platform you're listening, you can find us there. So be sure to subscribe and check us out there. So uh, before we get to our guests uh, later in the show here, Kyler, you've got some hot topics for us. What what do you have in store for us? Yeah. So first, let's talk about The Jetsons, which was one of my favorite shows growing up. Um, so this specific article looks at six science and technology trends that are changing our world. And just to go back into that pop culture reference here in the United States and really globally, in the 1960s, the space age television show, The Jetsons, which George Jetson and his family were surrounded by these innovations, which seems incredibly far-fetched at the time, you know, um, moving walkways, video conference. Um, he even had that hot-headed boss, Cosmo G. Spacely. Um, dinner was produced by the family's food receptacle, which I really wish as a busy mom that that was actually a thing. Um, and it kind of takes on all of these different technologies in the household and enterprise that we look at today. So this is kind of a parody between that. Um, so the the trends that they look at, I'm going to read them to you, Eric, and then you can maybe kind of tell us some things that you've seen within the enterprise emerging tech space that kind of looks sim, um, similar. So improved health and medical treatments. So we looked at things like gene editing, targeted drug de delivery, 3D printed organs to help cons uh, um, cure diseases and lead to positive health outcomes. So that's one. Um, renewable and sustainable energy, which I know you and the Third Stage team do a lot in the renewable space, specifically because it's so new, kind of specialize in those emerging industries that need help with their enterprise tech stack. So these are alternate energy sources, um, renewable climate change. Um, we, we see this a lot in our distribution industry and looking at green distribution opportunities and shipping. Um, smarter and more efficient cities, which again, you do a lot in the public sphere when it comes to city government, school districts, all of those different ways. Uh, so looking at the use of sensors, data analytics, artificial intelligence, energy use, traffic flow, waste management, all of those other services that create a more efficient and sustainable urban li living. Um, enhance connectivity and communication. So this looks at things like how we communicate with one another, uh, satellite communication, quantum and molecular communication, 5G networks, um, improved environmental protection and um, conservation uh, that we look at. So uh, this one looks at the Jetsons actually had a lot of parodies in this, but we look at local and global innovations that drive the development of new products and services that really keep us connected, improve our health, both mentally and physically, and create productivity and efficiencies in our lives. Um, so those that's kind of the list in which they go to looking at the different pieces. Um, oh, I forgot one. I'm sorry. And then smart manufacturing. I was like, I think that's only five. <laughs> smart manufacturing, which again, we have a lot of experience in kind of helping our clients build that out and looking at artificial intelligence, smart factories, automation, um, optimized process production, all of those different things. Um, so those are the the six ways in which our life is turning into the Jetsons. So of course, as I always love popular culture and technology parodies, I had to get your feedback on on what you were actually seeing in kind of our digital transformation industry today. Yeah, so many of those that you mentioned are spot on with what we're seeing. I mean, the smart manufacturing and the 
um, quantum computing. I mean, I think with artificial intelligence and data processing, data analytics, um, ChatGPT, all that stuff mm-hmm. is putting more pressure, more uh, focus on um, the speed of computing and that sort of thing. So I think a lot of what you talk about is uh, is very relevant and it's happening and emerging faster than we've seen in the past. And it's also interesting, you know, as you described the Jetsons, I, I hadn't seen that show in a long time. So it's interesting to hear uh, how different, uh, or, or not how different, but how how much they accurately seem to have predicted a lot of what would happen in the future with, at least with, you know, video conferencing and whatnot. So very interesting to see how, you know, it's, it's like we intuitively know that a lot of these trends are happening, but actually seeing them in reality uh, is always exciting too. Is there one trend in specific that you've really had a lot of clients ask you about or um, had some interest around that you've, you've seen really kind of up and coming into the digital tech space? Well, I think, you know, AI is really fascinating to me. I mean, not just because of ChatGPT, but just even before that, when you look, if you set aside ChatGPT, even though that's all the rage and all the, the buzz at the moment, if you look at just the hordes and mass amounts of data that organizations have accumulated over decades mm-hmm. and their inability to historically use that data for any real meaningful value or purpose, now you've got these tool sets that allow you to, if you can clean up your data and actually, you know, leverage that asset. Now you've got tools that allow you to do that uh, with AI and predictive analytics and and uh, that sort of thing. So I think uh, AI is the one that seems like there's just a huge amount of value that can be delivered there. And the good thing is organizations have been readying themselves for this opportunity, maybe not intentionally, but by accumulating all this data and having all this data and being better at data management or getting better at data management and digitization over time, that just makes them better prepared to potentially leverage AI if they can, you know, take that next step uh, towards those, that emerging technology. So that's, that's probably the one that sticks out the most. Yeah. That data currency too is, you know, so important. It's almost like burying money in your backyard, but it doesn't really matter how much money you have in your backyard if you can't find where you buried it and utilize it. So it's a good, good analogy or metaphor. (laughs) And the Jetsons, if you haven't seen them, definitely, um, especially for some of our younger viewers, I remember watching them and looking at their moving walkways and just so enthralled with moving walkways. And of course, that's how we get around in the airport. And if you have a four-year-old like I do, you spend your entire trip on the moving walkways. So um, (laughs) all good, fun things to learn from the Jetsons. Um, Lots of good lessons there. But our other... I know, right? Our other hot topic here is four ways CIOs are rethinking digital transformation. Um, so this is this is an article in Enterprise Project Magazine that I wanted to kind of bring to the table here and kind of see your uh, overall feedback, knowing that you work primarily with a lot of CIOs and see if this is something that you've seen kind of in our delivery work. Um, so the one, uh, uh, there's four trends here. I'll read them to you and you can kind of, again, give us your feedback on which one you think is, is, uh, actually happening. So crafting an automation strategy with a scalpel. And I think this is a really interesting reference because automated automation strategy is such a really gray term and it's not often understood until you really kind of get in what is automation? What does that look like? What is the automation process mapping? Uh, what are the tools in which we use to automate? So this trend is really getting into the granular and understanding what different types and layers of automation you have. Interesting. Yeah. 
The second is low code is solving the build versus buy conundrum. So we've talked a lot about low code tools, specifically with an enterprise technology portfolio, and they can, according to this trend, eliminate that false choice between buy and the flexibility of build. So empowering those that are closest to the business, kind of map out those processes and negate the task of the need for developers. Uh, So it's a trade-off that you kind of have to look at what's right for your organization, obviously. Uh, So you either lose those competencies or those high technical positions in-house and have a low-code tool that empowers the rest of the business or the developer productivity can also increase when you have kind of the bandwidth of a low-code infrastructure. Um, Number three is enterprise-grade security can support both scale and velocity. So this is a pretty straightforward one that I know you talk a lot about, um, but digital transformation projects can actually materially enhance enterprise security while delivering business value at the same time. So that two-pronged approach of securing your enterprise while making your technology more efficient and drive that ROI. And the last one is architecting for total experience. And we kind of talked about this a few episodes ago. So across the entire organization from um, legacy and cloud op- applications, diversifying endpoints, uh, and that's efficiencies within the internal operations, but also for the customer experience as well and and focusing on kind of that customer first mentality. So those are the four kind of shifts that this specific research has seen in digital transformation when it comes to CIO or leadership thinking. So what is your reaction to that? Well, I think at least three of the four make a lot of sense. The first one, I didn't fully understand, you know, how that, how that translates into reality, but, but I think the other three may make a lot of sense. I especially like the, you know, low code, no code as a, as a, alternative to the buy versus build debate. It sort of gives you a middle ground, which I think with a lot of debates in the tech space and other aspects of life too, for that matter, there's tends to be an overlooked gray area or middle ground um, oftentimes. So I think that low code, no code option is is a good one, you know, to, to help you get the best of both worlds in some ways. Um, be curious to see how, you know, how over time that materializes into reality as more vendors incorporate that tool set into their, their vendor or into their uh, products. Um, but I think that's, that's a great one. And certainly the focus on, on cybersecurity, um, is another, you know, that's a, that's definitely a hot topic. And then the last one you mentioned, what was the last one again? It was related to, um, the last one was, a architecting for a total experience. So from internal to external and all of those different points in between. Yeah. I like that one too, because it's not only focused on everything, but it's focused on your business and sort of business outputs and business interaction with customers, customer experience, employee experience um, really gets, I think it gets us focused on the right things and gets our mind off the things that don't matter as much or that we dwell too much on sometimes. Uh, we we tend to dwell at times on the technology way too much, and this is a good way for us to refocus or rethink how we're approaching our transformation. So, I I think all three of those uh, the 
two numbers two through four, I think are, are super relevant. Maybe we could come back to number one because I didn't fully understand the the scaffolding. The yeah, I think it, it's probably automation. just you know me. I love a good like buzz phrase. Um, so when we look at things like RPA or other forms of AI and automation, knowing which tool makes sense for which scenario. Mm. So I think I I've heard you talk about this a lot in understanding the fine tuning. So say you're going to order something, you're working with a chat bot and you say, Hey, when is my order going to get here? But that overall phrase hasn't been layered into the chat bots coding. So they say like, we can't help you. We can't help you. Very, um, you know, similar to what that looks like as far as when automation makes sense and not to over automate. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that makes a ton of sense. And so it's a, it's, it's about being selective in, targeted and strategic in how you how you approach your automation initiatives, which I think that makes total sense. Because again, you, know, you look at what some of the common pitfalls are. One of the biggest pitfalls that organizations have is that they, they bite off more than they can chew. They buy a bunch of technology that they're never going to use. It sits on the shelf, mm-hmm. doesn't add value, overcomplicates things. Whereas here, you're, you're kind of leading with the business again and focusing on where, where are we going to get the most value? Where's the low hanging fruit and allows you to uh, you know, to focus accordingly, which I think is a definitely a good thing for sure. Absolutely. And and turning back to the audience to round out kind of our hot topic conversation here, if you were a CIO, what is the number one initiative you would focus on if you were going through a digital transformation? So again, I'll I'll ask Eric that question next week when we come back, but definitely interested to hear from you. And if you are joining on our audio platform, you can tweet us your answers. I pull those two at third stage ERP is our Twitter handle. You can also tweet Eric at Eric Kimberling um, as well. So we'd love to hear from, from that community too. Yeah. And certainly if you are already a CIO and maybe you are going through a digital oh, transformation, yeah. I'd love to hear that'd be even better uh, feedback uh, from those of you that are currently in that um, in that journey as we speak. So it'd be great to sure. get your feedback. Well, good. Well, thank you for those questions and the stimulating uh, hot topics and, and conversation there. And I'll be curious to see what the audience has to add to that uh, as we go through the episode here. We're going to shift gears a bit and uh, take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have Dominic Lean on the show. Uh, he's a vice president of Third Stage Europe, based out of just outside of London in the UK. And he and his team there handle our European clients at Third Stage Consulting. So uh, any any of our team members or clients that are based in Europe uh, are handled by Dominic and his team. We're going to have Dominic on the show talking about best practices in supply chain automation and digital transformation. And then later in the show after Dominic, we'll have Adam Cheatham on the show, who's managing director here at Third Stage Consulting. He'll be talking about SAP implementation failures and some of the lessons from those failures. So stay tuned for that as well. Uh, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have Dominic on the show. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. 
Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 118. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and audio podcast platforms throughout the world. And uh, those new episodes come out every Wednesday, as I mentioned. And be sure to check us out there. Be sure to subscribe. And uh, this is the podcast that covers everything related to digital transformation, including our next guest and our next topic, which is the topic is best practices in supply chain automation and digital transformation. We'll we'll kind of talk about some of the the lessons from some of our recent clients, uh, from our guest that's going to be here. And, and that guest is Dominic Lynn, who is vice president of strategy and transformation based out of our UK office that handles all of our European clients and team members. Um, he, he's, uh, he's someone you may have interacted with if you're based in Europe and if you're a client of third stage consulting. Uh, but all that being said, uh, Dominic, welcome to the show. That's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Very yes, appreciate see how the conversation goes. Absolutely. Appreciate you being here, uh, late in the day, uh, your time and, uh, what better person to discuss this topic of supply chain automation uh, than you and, and digital transformation? I know this is something that uh, is near and dear to you, heart, your heart, and something you have a, a deep background in. But before uh, we get into some of these questions I've got for you about supply chain automation and digital transformation, maybe just tell us a little bit about your background and your upbringing here in the whole world of supply chain and digital transformation. Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, my background goes back, uh, oh, uh, I guess, 30, 30 odd years. Um, so, and I actually started off in um, um, for working for a company that supplied manufacturing solutions and maintenance management systems, asset management and, and things like that. Um, um, back in the uh, late 80s now, showing my age. So um, it was really around forward finite scheduling manufacturing, you know, where it's really just in time, pretty much on, on the basis of that. Uh, there's a system called Op21, um, which was a um a system that was used by really big companies but they were a really small company so uh, we actually um, brought it into the 21st century by putting it on on oracle put it on an oracle relational database so all these files and networks and routings that we had uh, were now in, in a relational database so that was my first exposure to um kind of uh, databases but uh, based around manufacturing and, and supply chain so it's kind of been 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 in my blood for quite a while now um yeah over 30 years sounds Great. terrible to say it like that yeah. <laughs> well, we want to take advantage of your experience. I won't say your age, but we'll, we'll talk about your experience <laughs> and your uh, your maturity as a, as a consultant in, in this field. We'll, we'll take advantage of here today by by digging into some of this. Uh, yeah. But what what drew you in? Like, why did you get into this field? How, why did you decide to get into digital transformation and more specifically some of the supply chain focus that you've had over the years? Yeah, I suppose it, it's that that whole area where, you know, finance is always there, you know, I, Kind of did a lot of finance and and computing at, at college and, and university um and i, I think when, when you when you visit a plant you know so i, I visit some uh, refineries or warehouses or manufacturing plants and and it's always that sort of interest where you can see a little bit more about what's going on so finance is finance you know excellent but when you start to look at the whole uh, operation you know from warehousing you know um, demand planning right through to outbound it just it's just a bit more interesting so it was always sort of fascinated me um some of these companies that had these big operations and you can you can suddenly see something that was on the screen a name of a, a machine and then you see the machine you think okay it all makes sense so I, I always found it a little bit more real um i think that's probably what pulled me in interesting yeah it is uh that is, i agree with you by the way and i i share the same opinion about supply chain management just the the complexity of it is challenging yeah. and fun and um, there's a lot of opportunity for improvement, which is you know part of what we'll talk about here today as far as 
you know, ways that technology and process improvements can help supply chain management. And that makes it a lot of fun uh, for certain. Um, so before we jump into some of these questions I have, I'm hoping you can help us settle a, um, a debate that we had last week in last week's episode of the podcast. Uh, doesn't have a lot to do with supply chain management or digital transformation, but I'll ask it anyway. And that question that came up in last week's episode was uh, choosing between the Beatles or Elvis. Uh, who is more influential? And I ask you that, obviously, because I think you might have, you may have a bias, I don't know, just based on the fact that you're from the UK. But uh, what, what's, your, what's your knee-jerk reaction to that? Beatles or Elvis? Well, I, I would go Beatles, but that's probably, um, uh, is it just because I'm UK? I don't think so. My, my, my <laughs> love of music is broad. So I, I think they were such an influential and magical band. Um, you know, I used, I used to live near... Um, Abbey Road, I think I've mentioned this before. Um, so I, did, I used to have a running, a jogging route that took me past Abbey Road. And it's just this sort of magical um, thing around the Beatles and their influence across a whole range of music. I mean, Elvis is undoubtedly huge, but uh, yeah, I, I would go Beatles. Okay. All right. Good. Yeah, and also and Rolling Stones, but yeah, that's a different topic. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're, you're a classic consultant. You can't just take an either or answer. You have to add your own uh, interpretation and your, uh, your own yeah. analysis. No, I'll go with Beatles then, yeah. Is, okay. is there a vote there? Is there a sort of um, a uh, a vote? Uh, what's the what's the what's the percentage of people voting for Beatles or Elvis? Is it? Well, I'd be curious to hear from the audience. You know, Beatles or Elvis, um, especially uh, if you weren't on last week's episode. Um, but last week when we asked the question, I'd say it was pretty pretty mixed. I, I don't know that there was a clear clear favorite. I was trying to convince the audience that it was Beatles, but I, I wasn't very successful uh, to those that uh, were were standing very strongly with with Elvis. Um, but, uh, in, in, uh, Jacobus on LinkedIn made a comment here of, oh, here we go again, as did Kyler. So at least a couple of you were part of that debate last week. So, uh, if you were not though, and you haven't had a chance to share your opinion, I'd love to hear it. Sam Graham from, um, joining on LinkedIn says Elvis was one of the greatest country singers. So, uh, which I agree with that, but, uh, I just think the songwriting of the Beatles, that's, that's to me, that's the tip, the tipping of the scale is the songwriting and just the talent of the four of them combined. Um, so. as opposed to obviously a very talented singer in Elvis. Having said that, the uh, Elvis 68 comeback tour where he was in those leathers and, and he was jamming and playing guitar was fantastic. You know, it showed yes. his musical ability, which I don't think many people thought he had. Um, but he had to prove it at that point. So, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Very, very close. Good. Well, we could spend the entire time talking about this whole debate and we could spend the whole time, especially you and I could spend the whole time talking about music because I know you're, in, very much into music as well. So that's part of why I wanted to ask you that question. Uh, make sure we get your opinion there and uh, curious to see the audience uh, responses here too. Um, but I guess just to start here with this this topic of supply chain automation and digital transformation and some of the best practices. And again, this is a very broad topic. And you and I talked about this before we went live here today. Um, what a broad topic this is. There's so much we could cover, but we'll try to We'll try to target the conversation a little bit and, and do sort of a, a fly overview here. And, and certainly any questions audience has, we'd love to hear that as well. Um, but the first question I've got for you, Dominic, is what are the biggest changes you've seen in supply chain management and automation in, in recent years, more specifically since since COVID? Well, that, that's that's probably the, the, the key, key word there. Um, you know, it is a wide topic and things have been improving for years with supply chain. But during the, the pandemic, we saw a, a shift of people's um, you know, what people were doing and companies were doing and how they're using technology. So for me, um, I, th I think it was really around the confidence in the supply chain. You know, so people were moving from a, we had a couple of clients that went from a, a low stock uh, model to a, a high stock model, um, you know, and, and, and had to sort of 
buy more space and, and their capacity planning, et cetera, was all was all um different. And then trying to sort of wean themselves off that now. So that that's kind of I guess it's a blip in the roadmap of supply chain over the last yeah, 20, 30, 40 years, but um it certainly sort of made a dent. So I think really where you're now looking at the digitization of of, of all these different areas with obviously this back office it's been digital for a while but you've got now the front office you know um things like around um um digital stores you know salesforce do, do, do good digital storefronts and you've got shopify etc and um amazon uh, fulfillment etc all those things are starting to tie up and and it's kind of made a difference to the supply chain model over the last few years but i think some of the areas I've seen people struggle with is this really end to end. Um, there's been a bit of a disconnect. So you get some companies that have a, a very complex um, um, demand planning and forecasting model where it's you know, based on data and it's really accurate. And then they have planned orders, planned purchase orders, distribution orders, make to orders, and all that sort of drifts, um, drips through nicely. Um, you have to make changes you go to accommodate your demand planning. Um, and others that have, have really done it where they just do a um, almost like a revenue-driven buy plan. What do we want to make? We want to make an extra five million this month. All right, here's what we need to buy for that. And they're just sort of buying it and trying to sell it. And I think that's sort of disconnect. So then sometimes the factory doesn't see what the demand plan is across different product types, um, uh, how, uh, what raw materials they need. Um, you know, it's that sort of disconnect sometimes when it's all linked. And then it gets to the factory and then the warehouse and, and, and transport. Um, so I, I think that's that's where the market is going to try and automate all these. And really, with this digital footprint, we should be seeing a lot more of that. But the clients we've been working with um, across the board haven't quite got that sorted out yet. And that's kind of one of the um, you know one of the trends I think for for supply chain. So this trend that you mentioned about stockpiling, for lack of a better word, you know, stockpiling excess or extra inventory, is yep. that? Is that happening primarily because of the shortages that have been experienced throughout the supply chain as a way to mitigate that risk or hedge against that risk? Or is it because organizations themselves don't have good visibility into what the supply chain needs are? And so their response to that is just to stockpile inventory or is it yeah. some combination of both or something different? It's it's both. You know, if you haven't got good visibility of of what your demand is and you know what your supplier's capacity to meet that demand and you know how how you put that whole together and you're available to promise, you're capable to promise. You know, a lot of companies aren't doing that. I think the pandemic showed up some of those fragilities in the supply chain anyway, and and where the software, you know, some of the investment in software, a lot of people are still running old legacy systems. You know, we're still getting people on old old systems that haven't updated, and they're doing it as and when they need to. But they've got away with it for years. You know, maybe they've got a good model around, you know, they've got some manual processes, they managed to do it, and it seems to work and they're making money. So why change it? And I think the pandemic forced people to change. And there was, you know, where the system was creaking, the pandemic just magnified it and you either collapsed or you changed to, to support that. And of course, the pandemic made people think, okay, the work from home, the technology, we need to sort of upgrade. And I think that started this whole I mean, it's been on the cards for years, but this revolution of, of, right, we need to get technology. Technology is really good you know, around AI and blockchain and all these other facilities that we've got. And I think people are starting to see that they they do have to move towards that. And the cloud, I know the cloud sort of good and bad, and we've discussed it, and you, you've got various YouTube videos around that, you know, whether the cloud is good or bad. But the technology um, is there to improve these areas. So I think, yes, partly people's reluctance to do it and, and relying on manual processes and visibility but the pandemic definitely added to that. Interesting. Yeah. 
yeah, it seems to be the case. And, and do you see that with the clients we're working with now, you know, both in Europe and elsewhere throughout the world, do you see that dynamic shifting or do you see things settling down as far as a more predictable and more stable supply chain? Or are you still seeing, are our clients still seeing significant disruptions and, and uh, things like that? It's definitely getting better, but people's, People are now worried that it might happen again, or you know they don't want to run out of stock, or you know. So, so they, they, those models have changed, and they're not changing back completely. So I think people have have learned a lot, and it depends on whether you rely on Far East and China to to bring all your goods in, or, or whether it's part of your you know where you've got to line that with more local supplied products, uh, which have to be assembled or manufactured. So it obviously depends on the nature of the business. Some people have fairly simple supply chains, which are quite robust. Others have very complex ones, as you know across food and beverage, FMCG, you know, if it's fast moving or or you're making things that rely on parts that come from all different areas of the world, it's obviously much more complex. So, and that's where technology, you know, is trying to help, but people need to um, get out of their silos, really. I think the other issue is people working in silos where certain areas, you know, your um, sales team or, or merchandise team do it this way, you know, your factory does it that way, your warehouse, I mean, warehouse and transport are probably a topic we need to talk about a bit today, um, you know, and, and how they, you know, operate together. They're so close together, but most of the time they're, they've got a separate system. Transport and warehouse are, are you know, um, disconnected quite a lot. Um, yeah, so so that that's that's sort of got to change, really, um, in, in my view. Uh, and people are starting to, to move towards a better model, for sure. Right. Um, right. But you know, getting getting away from what you used to do. You know, we've done it this way for years, so we're going to carry on doing it. I got a guy called Pete, and he's done this for years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why change it now? And I think people are, are seeing that they've got to move um, for sure. We're here with Dominic Lynn from Third Stage Consulting Europe, talking about best practices in supply chain automation and digital transformation. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 118. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here with Dominic Lynn talking about best practices in supply chain management in digital transformation. Let's jump back into the conversation. You know, a lot of these global supply chains were built or uh, established in the 90s or earlier. And, in, in, you know, you think about the 90s and early 2000s and you know, as the global supply chain sort of uh, came into maturity, and for a certain amount of time, it was very predictable. It was a predictable supply chain. You could you could get by with just having one supplier of a critical component, and there weren't any major disruptions in many cases. But then the the pan- pandemic certainly did expose that global supply chain model. You know, to p- geopolitical 
um, or health pandemic related issues. There's just a lot of things that in the world right now that are apt to disrupt a supply chain. You mentioned the pandemic. There's you know war in Ukraine, war in other parts of the world that can disrupt a supply chain. So I think there's just a lot of things. There's just a, a lot more sensitivity and awareness, I think, that needs to happen when it comes to supply chain management. Yeah, I agree. And, and it's trying to keep um, you know, your costs low. Um, you know, looking back to the old MRP2 days where it was infinite capacity, people just bought loads of stock, made loads of stock and stored inventory. Um, you know, and going back to where my manufacturing solution started, that was the opposite of that, trying to say, okay, you need to work just in time and looking at the theory of constraints and, you know, um, balancing the flow and capacity rather than just trying to, you know, have loads of stock. So that, 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 that's, you know, I think people are going back to that, just stocking up too much now. And, and, you know, that, that, that adds cost across the inventory and inefficiencies. And, and quite often, if you've got loads of stock, you think you can deliver quicker. And that's not always the case. You know, if you're moving stuff around, you got to make sure all these warehouses or extra facilities that you buy are in your ATP, so, yeah, you know, I think people have sort of shifted one way, and I've got to get back to, the, to to kind of using technology to smooth out those 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 issues. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a massive topic. Uh, I don't know what the audience thinks. You know, whether people are responding or anyone's got any sort of real life day to day issues that they've got. I know you're going to come to that anyway, but it's a very interesting topic, um, very wide and very difficult to to get right for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and finding that balance between cost optimization, which is historically been a, a top priority for supply chain management. Now it's sort of shifting, not that cost isn't important, but now it seems like the pendulum is swinging towards, let's make sure we have stock and, and available, that we can meet available the promise dates and we can yep. satisfy demand faster. And in those yep. cases, it may be worth having higher inventory costs if it means that you can supply you know better service and, and increase revenue. Uh, it is, but it's got to be connected. So if your data is disparate and, and you know, one department's doing one thing and another one's doing another, that data is not always shared. So um, we're not fed into planned orders and things like that. So teams interpret things in different ways. And if it's not a true demand forecast, for instance, um, you know, you might have to buy more stock, but that creates space issues. You know, capacity might not be able to be found fast enough and the rapid changes to the model. And so it, it's that visibility and planning it's all about planning, really. Sometimes people don't plan enough and they, they kind of react. Um, yeah. But that visibility and confidence in your supply network, um, you know, is, is key. Yeah, absolutely. And how you and how you ship your order book. Again, you know, you, you've got orders coming in, but sometimes, you know, you've, you've stocked up, you've got new orders. Your order book is a, a, an issue. You, know, you can't always fulfill quicker just because you've got loads of stock. You've got to still find them. You? <laughs> right. Or it's been used, you know, inventory allocations and you know, how you do all that sort of stuff as well. Um, are really the complexities we've seen in the last couple of years. People struggle to get right, even they've been doing it for years. Um, yeah. How you allocate stock to orders and priorities and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed with that. And some ERPs do it well, others others don't. So it's, uh, yeah, it depends how complex it is. People tend to, I've seen people use systems that probably aren't built for that sort of stuff to do really complex ATP modeling. You know, um, again, that's part of the work we do, isn't it? Trying to, trying to get the right ERP system to the right clients based on your complexity models. Um, so, yeah. Right. And redefine those processes and parameters and the way you run your supply chain, obviously, uh, you know, which extends not only to the technology, but also just your general business practices and processes and the way you're structured organizationally, all that stuff is impacted by, by how you run your supply chain for sure. Exactly. Now looking to the audience here, uh, just want to 
acknowledge and thank everyone for joining and mentioning where they're joining from today. Uh, Jacobus is joining from uh, Netherlands, Prod from Cleveland, Ohio, Tuana from Sweden. Um, we have someone from Norway, Sam Graham from Spain, uh, Agumon from Senegal, Ryan from Denver, Colorado, uh, Maela from Brussels, uh, Ezeldine from UK, Milad from Kansas City, Daniel from Hamburg, Germany, Yusman um, from Qatar, Marco from Netherlands, Switzerland, Netherlands, Czech Republic, UA, Switzerland. Uh, lots of European uh, attendance here today, which is great because you're you're there in Europe, and uh, we have a, a good team there in, in Europe as well. Um, just coming back, I've, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but Sam mentions that Elvis was one of the great uh, country singers. Um, Mayella mentions the Beatles, and uh, Kyler has a good comment here, uh, asking a Brit if he likes the Beatles is like asking a German if they like David Hasselhoff, <laughs> which is... Uh, Pretty funny. David Hasselhoff is an American, but yet he's huge in Germany. Apparently, still, from what I well, understand, he, he, he helped bring down the Berlin Wall. I remember, but uh, also he thinks, yeah, that's <laughs> he right. Didn't there, didn't he? <laughs> that's right. That's true. Um, then we also have uh, Alice from Slovenia as well. So I uh, thank you everyone for joining throughout the world here today. Um, appreciate you joining, especially late in the day for many of you. Uh, here's a question from from Sam in Spain on LinkedIn. Uh, he, this is a great question that. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Dominic. And that is accounting departments got computerized first because they're quite rules driven. Will AI be introduced there before the supply chain for the same reason? So, uh, you know, maybe talk about AI, just maturity of solutions. Maybe that's a broader uh, way to look at it. When you look at the maturity of solutions and the technology available for accounting and back office departments, as you talked about before, versus supply chain management, um, you know, do you see how, how do you see that unfolding? I think the maturity of supply chain, sure, it started with finance, you know, donkeys years ago. Um, I, I think the the manufacturing supply chain solutions out there are pretty robust. Uh, I mean, they're evolving as they go into the cloud. It's sort of, you know, you look at the Oracle offering, it's possibly not as robust in the cloud as it was in, in, in on-premise. And I think a lot of them are going through that same same um, uh, issue. But yeah, I, I, think, I think the supply chain um, manufacturing distribution warehousing tools are pretty good it's just the uptake and people not not really keeping up to date and using some of the new technology um I mean you mentioned AI AI is a difficult one um yeah most of the ERPs have got some sort of AI in them now um uh, which seems to be helping um although you know I haven't really got much first-hand experience of how well that sort of helps in terms of you know people's day-to-day -day jobs and helping with the automation but it's supposed to help a little bit more with you know the mundane tasks and automation um, I think one of the more significant areas is possibly um, you know, some of the blockchain um, mm. areas where you know, we, we've been working with a, a shipping company and not that they're using it yet, but we were looking at similar ones and areas around same with transport, transport or shipping where you've got to have lots of documentation in each port and you know, um, inventory and stuff like that of, of the products and where they've come from, et cetera. And, you know, things like blockchain have, have, have good areas around uh, bill of lading and things like that, where it just you know, it just knows, it automates it across this distributed ledger. Things like that, blockchain are probably, for me, a little bit more useful than AI at the moment. But again, I'm sure the audience will um, will, will correct me on some of the RPA stuff. Um, I know it's, it's a big industry. But yeah, certainly blockchain, bill of lading, there's lots of tools around that, which are, are you know, we're starting to recommend now, in addition to ERP. ERP is just one part of it, isn't it? You've got to have, you know, whether you've got Azure and you're, you, you, you know, your power bi layers um 
how it works with AI and, and blockchain metaverse, I guess, metaverse. I don't know enough about metaverse, but I know you've done a few things on that as well. All these areas and layers of technology are really starting to come together now to support ERP. Yeah. Um, what about um, like ChatGPT, you know, that that component of AI? Do you see that becoming material, materially integrated into supply chains in the future as far as just being able to use ChatGPT or some AI chatbot model to be able to just more easily access statuses of where inventory is or what the inventory situation yeah. is in different situations or what are, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I do think it will become part of our everyday lives, you know, where people... I mean, we do it now, don't we, with Siri and things like that, or, um, you know, it's not quite the same AI, but it's still that sort of um, process. So, yeah, I think it will. People will start asking it questions or even things like, you know, I need a spreadsheet to load this. Can you help? You know, and, and it will do things like that. So I, I think that will be useful. Whether it takes over and one day you won't need ERP, you just say, hey, ChatGBT, can you do my accounting this month? You know, here's my figures, and maybe it'll just go and do it. So maybe ERP's days are numbered. I, I really don't know where it's going to go. Um, hopefully, I'll be retired by then, or I'll just, you know, have the benefits of AI, where I don't have to do slides anymore. That'd be a nice one. So um, yeah. <laughs> I think it is. I think it is here to stay. I think if it, if it becomes um, an enhancement and augments our experience and, and helps do some of the mundane stuff but humans are still there to sort of um you know guide and and, and do the, the the bigger um strategic areas then i think it's great but yeah i think i do see it appearing in every app pretty much to, to help and support people yeah we're here with dominic lynn from third stage consulting europe talking about best practices in supply chain automation and digital transformation we've got a lot more to cover but first we'll take a quick break you're listening to transformation ground control when i wake up well, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who wakes up next to you. Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 118. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here with Dominic Lynn talking about best practices in supply chain management in digital transformation. Let's jump back into the conversation. This is a comment from Prod on LinkedIn. Prod says uh, RPA Robotics and ALML are already pretty dominant in supply chain mm -hmm. and warehouse management. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that RPA robotics and machine learning, uh, AI, all that stuff is going to become dominant or relevant in, in many functions, if not all uh, functions within a business. It's just a matter of how quickly we get there and how exactly uh, it unfolds and how, how we use that technology. Um, now, you mentioned a, uh, a couple times in passing, Dom, you mentioned uh, ERP systems. And I wanted to lead into this question from Kyler 
on LinkedIn who says, what what are your thoughts of best of breed solutions like Blue Honda and Man- Blue Yonder and Manhattan Associates? When does your organization need to consider a more specialized solution? So in other words, if, if you're not familiar, for those in the audience that aren't familiar with Blue Yonder, Manhattan Associates, those are supply chain management focused solutions. They, they specialize in providing pretty deep and robust supply chain management functions, but they're not as broad as an ERP system. Um, and there's obviously a trade-off there as far as having one system that can do everything across an enterprise versus a more specialized solution. So when, when would you see, what do you see as sort of the trade-offs or the, you know, the more likely scenario that an organization is going to need a specialized supply chain solution versus a broader ERP solution? How do you, how do we help our clients navigate that decision process? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's based on, on needs. So there's, you know, having a one size fits all ERP, you know, it depends on the nature of your business. Some, some systems fit that well, don't they? Uh, and others we've gone in thinking there is a unified platform or something that can do everything. And then once you find out, and this is the whole point, you've got to go through the process. You've got to look at what your strategic aims are, you know, what are you are doing now, what you're going to do in 10 years, how, how are you going to achieve that business plan or, or, and how's technology going to underpin it? And you might find that, um, you know, your key processes around, um, intercompany, you know, or, or uh, something uh, asset management, and you don't really need the complexity of other systems. So you, you can end up breaking it down. So I think some of these systems like Blue Yonder are very good at what they do. So I think best of breed is probably coming back. It used to be, I've worked on some systems where we had a massive footprint, you know, 25 applications, uh, all connected and, and, and doing lovely things. Then it went back to sort of, let's have a unified platform, can we stick it all in one? And I think we're going back now to saying, well, we don't need a fully massive ERP, um let's let's look at how specific areas especially if you've got some niche around supply chain or certainly manufacturing some of the manufacturing clients we've had recently have got some specific areas around recipe management or they do you know clever stuff here and here and that's where they need a specific system so uh, yeah we certainly wouldn't advise on one size fits all erp but the way we help is to do the right due diligence you have to go in work out what your differentiation processes are most people do P2P and finance well, but, you know, um, straight through um, supply chain can be quite easy, but it's the nuances. What, what's your areas of, of real um, uh, pain points? Um, and once you understand the pain points, um, you can then start to work out what the best systems are to, to help with that. Maybe there is one system that does it all based on your supply model and your manufacturing capability. Um, so that's kind of where we would go. There's no, there's no one answer to any of these. Blue Yonder is a very good product, you know, um, I've been involved with it a few times, uh, not for a while, but uh, yeah. So we we would certainly advocate doing a a deep study on on across all your um, business units to find out what your needs are. Yeah, and yeah. that's not rocket science, you know. That's that's you know people think they can get round those sort of processes. Let's just pick one and go with it. You know, you really need to do the due diligence. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it it's uh, I think best of breed is a more viable option now than it was ten or twenty years ago. Um, year in years past you had to have a pretty sophisticated <clears throat> it group yes. the integration was complex and it certainly still is i mean you still have to deal with integration and architecture and things like that they're more important and even more of a success factor when you've got a best of breed solution or a specialized solution that you're trying to integrate with other systems but it's not as difficult as it was in the past you know with more of the open architectures and the low code no code options in the in the you know, focus on architecture, things like that. It gives you more options. You could go with a single ERP system that's fully integrated across supply chain management, plus finance, plus um, CRM, plus HR and all the other stuff. Or, you know, you also have the option to 
find a supply chain management focused solution. And I think a lot of it depends on if you're a, a very supply chain intensive organization, then you might lead with supply chain management. That might become your number one priority that then the other things just sort of fall into place behind that. Or if supply chain is, isn't as relevant, it's, it's important, but not as relevant as a supply chain intensive organization. It might be that a, that an integrated ERP system might be the place to start because whatever capability that's out of the box in an ERP system might be good enough to handle your supply chain. But if supply chain management is your competitive advantage and you need a ton of flexibility and robustness and all that stuff, you might be better off with that, that more specialized solution for sure. Well, I think, you know, come back to that question, I guess, blue yonder, uh, one of the areas we have um, seen a lot more people taking um, areas is around, you know, the warehouse management, WMS and, and transport management systems. So, you know, it depends what, it doesn't matter what ERP you've got. A lot of people are using, you know, the blue yonders and, you know, we work in one that's now called E2Open for transport and, um, you know, companies are looking at having those as separate systems outside of the ERP. Um, you know, and there is a sort of an argument around, um, well, why would you have a separate WMS and TMS system? You know, surely they should be integrated, but a lot of companies are, you know, have got those separate. You know, so we're, we're trying to sort of say, yes, it, it, it would make sense to have a conversion or um, you know, some sort of um, combined model around WMS and TMS, but everyone's slightly different. Right. So that's probably a topic to talk about. Yeah, that's kind of a, an area we've worked on quite a lot recently. Um, I don't know if that helps with, um, was it Kyler's question? Um, yeah, yeah, it was Kyler yeah. that asked that, that question. And I think that you bring up a good point, though, which is, you know, she was asking the question in the context of supply chain management focused solutions. But one thing you just alluded to is the fact that you could go a step further and there's transportation management focused solutions. There's warehouse management focused solutions. There's procurement solutions like Ariba and, and others like that. So there's there's a lot of different options you have. I mean, you can go super deep and specialized in, into some of the aspects of supply chain. You could have a solution that's more broadly focused on supply chain management, or you could have, I guess, a third option is the the broader integrated ERP system that covers supply chain management plus all the other stuff. Yeah. And then of course there's hybrid models as well, where you can mix and match or combine those, those three options. Yeah. Cause the ERP does that quite well where it's saying, okay, demand planning, um, you know, um, inventory management, um, procurement, uh, manufacturing, all, all those sort of things. I think they do do well where you start to get to people um, having nuanced systems is, when they farm it out, you've got your warehouse saying, how do you store those products? How do you ship them? You know, your inbound and outbound strategies, all that sort of stuff. And that's where we're probably starting to see more of convergence around maybe not having them separate. Some people have a completely separate warehouse system outside or they use um, third party, you know, 3PLs, et cetera. So it, it, that, that's a, I think that's a, a big area, um, you know, certainly where AI and blockchain and things like that can, that can help. But there's lots of systems that provide those, you know, just a transport management system or, or warehouse and transport. Right. Yeah, it's a big area. I don't know what experience is. people have on, you know, in, in the audience with that. Uh, ERP is so wide, isn't it? It really is. But I think it, it does do supply chain quite well um, overall. Yeah. yeah, especially when you get into manufacturing and planning and things like that. I mean, yeah. that's sort of what, what it was built for back back in the 80s um, in or in the early years. Yeah. Um, here's a comment. I apologize. I can't see on my stream here uh, who said this, but if someone on LinkedIn had the comment of, uh, we have integrated ChatGPT with ERP Next, engineered some prompts. It can create masters and transactions based on your textual inputs. So I guess the future is already here. So I think uh, you know ChatGPT can be a, a sort of a nice uh, add-on or or an integration point to, to to give you better access or easier access to some of the 
um, transactions and data and information out of the system. Um, but I'd be curious to hear from the audience if you're seeing any usage like that within your organizations. Are you seeing ChatGPT or AI or um, anything like that being integrated in your supply chain management? And also uh, to Dominic's point and Kyler's question, um, what do you see the future being? Do you see integrated ERP being able to handle supply chain management needs, or do you think it's more of a, a specialized supply chain solution that's going to provide the best answer for your organization? I'd love to hear the the audience comments here uh, below. Uh, but when we look at supply chain transformations, when we're looking at automating a supply chain and going through a digital transformation within supply chain management, Dominic, what are what are some of the biggest challenges with those transformations that you see with our clients in, in Europe and other parts of the world? Well, I suppose it comes down to um, organizational change, isn't it, really? Um, probably still the key area of, of, of failure. Um, yeah, pe people changes. So, um, and I think trying to, trying to get people to stop. So a lot, a lot of the companies we still see, see still we see, still have manual processes. There's spreadsheets everywhere. You know, they were saying, okay, as I said before, demand planning. A lot of people do it in a spreadsheet. You know, maybe it's partly on the system, but they download it. Um, inventory management, you know, some people do it on a spreadsheet. Warehouse management, a lot of that stuff is still um, very manual, even though they might have systems that do it. Um, they tie it together with spreadsheets, and people like to work in a certain fashion. So I think I think it's really the, the people changes. When you in introduce new technology and say, we're going to get rid of all these external data stores, you know, and some people have hundreds of them, um, you know, and trying to get people to change their way of working, stop using Excel, um, but then people get, get get worried about um, you know their jobs and, and etc. How 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 are they going to fare in a, a modern world that's got blockchain and AI? You know what am I going to do? I, I do this all day every day. So I think that's still the biggest area. It's the people change, organizational change management um, that that really rocks everything or, or brings everything to a halt. And that's where you get your biggest um, lack of ROI where you don't change properly. Um, so I think with any digital transformation, whether it's supply chain, finance, or whatever, um, it's the organizational change management is still one of the key areas we're finding people don't get right and don't plan for. Yeah. We're here with Dominic Lynn from Third Stage Consulting Europe, talking about best practices in supply chain automation and digital transformation. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. A man if you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 118. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here with Dominic Lynn talking about best practices in supply chain management in digital transformation. Let's jump back into the conversation. I want to get to this question too, which is relevant to what you just said, Dominic, and this is from um, Alice on LinkedIn. 
And Alice says, uh, AI will recommend the best supplier in the supply chain in terms of cost effectiveness mm -hmm. and sustainability performance. Um, and the reason I bring up this comment is because it's, it ties into your, your comment you just made, Dominic, about the people impact. And we have technology, clearly, we have technology that can enable this sort of capability that Alice mentions and some of the capabilities that you've mentioned, Dominic, around, you know, ChatGPT and AI and RPA and um, just supply chain management solutions in general, you, you've got these great technologies that can do a lot with your supply chain, but ultimately it's your people that have to adapt to this new way of thinking and different ways of thinking, even in, in Alice's example here of finding the best supplier based on cost effectiveness and sustainability performance. That might be a different approach. That might be a change for you as an organization. It might be a different set of priorities than you've had in the past. And the technology certainly can provide you the tool set to do it, but you need your people to understand and be aligned with that that approach and that strategy and that operational model going forward. It seems so. I, I, I think that's a good example to, to sort of unpack what uh, what you just what you just said there, Dominic. Um, what about this question? Uh, you know, just as I think we're sort of coming back to metrics here and what the focus of supply chains are and should be and will be in the future. And this is from Sam on LinkedIn. And Sam says, what about quality and delivery reliability? Are those metrics that are still important? Are they becoming more or less important given this post-pandemic world we're in when we look at quality and reliability? Well, yeah, they, they sometimes fall out the window, don't they? If you're focusing on on, on one area and, and quality goes out the window, but delivery reliability, and again, I think it comes back down to the tail end of the supply chain when you're looking at you know warehousing and delivery. Um, you know, qualities are I think quality is probably handled well in the ERP, but certainly transport and warehouse management um, is a big area we probably ought to discuss. So, you know, does the warehouse operation run with your distribution centers? You know, are the logistic processes aligned? Um, do you have trucks that are sitting there waiting or getting the, the deliveries that you know, aren't packed correctly? Do customers have to pack them or unpack them or reorder things at the other end? So, you know, to that point, delivery reliability, that, that is a massive issue, I think, around WMS and transport management systems that hasn't been fully addressed in a lot of organizations. Um, you know, does the customer miss out? Quite often, yes, um, they do. So, I mean, for, for warehouse systems, you know, what's the point of a warehouse system? You know, it's better control of inventory, lower uh, material handling costs, lower stock held, so it helps manage that. But unless it's integrated with the transport management system where your freight costs and your route planning where you go off, you know, and come back and uh, th those sort of costs escalate and the delivery times, delivery tracking, that's that's where a lot of customers aren't happy. They're, they're not getting the right deliveries at the right time. So yeah, I think that's a, it's a good question. It's a probably another session topic on its own. Um, yeah. Yeah. So having that cross-department visibility, you know, of warehouse to transport, um, it certainly helps um, an inventory allocation. I think we mentioned that before as well. So yeah. um, waiting times, demurrage, demurrage, it's different ways to pronounce that, you know, and, and the fines for risk delivery and waiting times. It, it's, a, it's a huge error. We, we've got firms that have got massive weekly demurrage charges because they, they, they have worked that out. They tend to just live with it as part of their budgeting. Yeah, trucks wait, trucks get misdelivered. Um, so I, I think it's doing a, business, yeah. Cost of doing business, yeah. But yeah, there are some huge save, savings to, to be had around that sort of area about improved, you know, uh, warehouse to transport, um, connectivity, right? Scheduling, yeah. vehicle scheduling, and depends how many trucks you've got and whether you, you've got your own, um, fleet or whether you used, um, you know, 
outsource that or a combination. So yeah, it's, it's a massive area for sure. But that's where I think AI and all this blockchain technology is starting to help. Uh, I'm sure people online have, have got some great experiences around how that's, you know, people can read the number plates of a truck coming in and they've already got their, you know, um, dock assigned. They've also got the pallets ready. So it, it can help if used properly uh, for sure. But we're finding customers are struggling around those areas for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then here's a, a comment from Prod on LinkedIn and Prod says data governance plays a huge role in digital transformation. Governing data and approval processes for machine learning and AI recommended options and data will be interesting. I feel like we still need manual eyes to review it. Um, and I think this is a really good point back to your, your, your comment about change management, Dominic, about the impact of the people and, and, uh, you know, just keeping on this thread here of the human side of supply chain automation and transformation, you know, even with AI and chat GPT and RPA and some of these different models that are meant to automate and replace what humans have historically done to help manage supply chains, there's still that human element that needs to be involved, at least as it stands today. But that's a pretty significant shift to people's mindsets. And it still doesn't change the fact that people are afraid in some cases of these technologies. They're afraid of the impact it has on their job. They're afraid of their perceived lack of value, you know, in terms of me, me as a human that, that has thrived on you know, sort of heroics and being the person that can go out there and find the information, despite the fact that I don't have the right tools and it's super difficult to do. Now, all of a sudden, the tool sets are there, it's automated, that part of my job and those heroics that go away, that's going to create a threat to me, even if it's the best thing for the organization and the best thing for my customers. For me, as a, an employee, that can be a threat. So, you know, I think as we look to some of these emerging technologies, it seems as though change management is going to become a bigger and bigger issue over time. But maybe we could just build on that a little bit and talk more specifically about change management. What do, what do you see as the biggest change management obstacles and challenges when it comes to transforming or, or changing or automating a supply chain or going through any sort of digital transformation for that matter? Well, I think you touched on some of the areas there in terms of the expectation you know, around how technology is going to shape the future and, and jeopardize people's jobs. Uh, and I think you know, people are worried. And so I think, I think the biggest thing um, that I think companies can do, which they don't do, is, is build that sort of, is the expectation saying, okay, you know, some, some of them, some of them pretend jobs won't change, you know, don't, don't worry, it's all going to be fine. And rather than saying, look, we'll build a support environment for people whose jobs may be at risk, excite them about the future. You know, there's new roles coming. Yes, some jobs may change. Some jobs may go, but you know, we're going to create this whole new world where you know, there's different roles you know, and, and, and get them excited about change to embrace the change and manage those expectations. So you know, in, in your teams, you know, you, you've got to manage your direct reports to sort of say, well, what are your skills, where do you want to go? And it should be part of that sort of um, you know, uh, career progression. Uh, and I think mm -hmm. people don't do that. You know, people don't, managers and companies don't seem to embrace change. You know, we've worked with a few that have said, don't mention the word transformation even. You know, no, 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 no. We're not changing the way we do. Well, yes, you are. You might, you might not be changing your operating model, but you're cha not changing your business model, you might, you, but you're going to change your operating model. But people are scared of the word transformation. We've seen it two or three times recently. No, don't, don't mention that. And I think that's um, a, a key misgiving uh, where it should be, look, we're going to transform. And this is where the strategic view, if you've done the strategy right and, and there's a, a very well articulated uh, business goal and strategy that comes from the top down, it's communicated well, people can see where the direction of the company is going. You need new tools to be able to get to that direction. And I think people can see that journey and, and they, they jump on the bus. If you hide things from them, don't do the strategic planning properly. Um, 
then I, I think you're on the on, on a road to nowhere. It doesn't matter how well your transformation goes if you don't use it or people aren't bought in. You know, you, you become derailed, and it's 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 a, it's a classic thing that hasn't changed for years. So I think there is an opportunity for people to just communicate better the communication channels and you can't hide things so much anymore so why not use the communication channels that we've got and and to to um communicate that vision um from top down and, and pass it through the ranks and get people excited about change or, or a new world um yeah. i mean maybe some people like to well i do the spreadsheet all day every day and i like to do it well maybe maybe they aren't the right people for your company i hate to say that if that's what someone does but if that's all you want to do um you might worry about it but you say, well, actually, I don't need to do that four hours a day. Great, I could do something else. That, that's really the mentality you want. And perhaps, you know, we, we can change people's thoughts around that. But it comes from the top down. It needs to be a, a decent vision that's that's well articulated. Um, you know, and, and that, that will solve a lot of problems. Yeah, and it it's that, yeah, the vision and, uh, and taking the time to cl provide clarity to individuals within the organization and to the broader organization just in terms of what, people's jobs are going to look like in the future. I think if when you leave it to chance or you sort of leave it open-ended that, hey, Dominic, I'm going to I'm gonna give you this tool set that's going to make your job so much easier. It's going to automate 80% of what you do. Um, your first knee-jerk reaction might be, well, that sounds really cool. But then the more you think about it, the more you're going to think, well, wait a minute, what am I going to do with the 80% of my job that you're automating? Does that mean my job's going away? Or uh, what am I supposed to do with that 80%? If I don't have answers to that question, my you know, I'm human and my, my mind's probably going to take me to a dark place that assumes the worst. If, if someone doesn't provide the clarity of here's what your job's going to look like, Dominic, yes, we're going to automate 80% of your job. That spreadsheet's going away, but guess what you're going to do now? You're going to be, you know, doing more strategic yeah. stuff using these reports or making these decisions. And, um, you know, you're, you're almost elevating people in their roles in many ways and taking away some of the yeah. manual work. And to your point, some people are going to always love that manual work maybe that's what they take pride in but and they won't always be able to make that transition but you have to at least try to do that as an organization and most organizations don't uh, naturally or intuitively know that they need to define what that future state organization is going to look like so that people have that clarity yeah and to be honest you, you won't know that on day one this is why you know if you have a vision and it's it's well documented and well communicated people go oh great well, what does that mean and then you have to start you know the journey you won't know what those roles look like um and, but you, you can start to do some of the groundwork. And, and I think in the supply chain, that whole supply chain world probably is a bit more sensitive to it because some of the roles you've got, people in the factory who are packing, you know, people in the warehouse who are who are doing put away and climbing up ladders. And, you know, some of those things go because AI and all that machine learning helps with all that sort of automated put aways and maybe not so much packing, but you've got machines for packing and labeling. And so, you know, some of those jobs will be at threat. Now, what do you, yeah, do you say, okay, well, you know, 50% of your day was doing that. Now you can do something else. I mean, there probably is a different role for that per person, but that's just a journey. You have to, to, you know, you can't know all at once. You have to take them on a journey, um, create the environment, create the sort of support environment where people can find out what sort of roles there are there. You know, maybe they want to apply for a different job or, or you know, what would you want to do? Some roles will go and, and, and that's just unfortunate. So I think certainly in supply chain, warehouse, manufacturing, um, it probably is a bit more sensitive because of those sort of low level roles you can get. Um, but, mm. you know, I, I think management have to just take that on board. You, It's probably better than um, thinking your job's safe. And then at the end of the day, you're told you're one of 50 people that are out the door, you know, with no, no chance to sort of think about it, maybe embrace technology, um, and, you know, apply for different jobs. And, and so, yeah, it, it's a very difficult world, you know, um, right, not, not right. nice to lose your job, but, um, 
the way technology is going, we're probably all going to be out of a job at some point. Um, you know, we're all going to have to change anyway. Probably everyone on this call will have to do something different in three years' time. You know, right. uh, just because you're in a factory, okay, you might have so many options, but you have to you have to adapt. You know, unfortunately, that, 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 that's the nature of the business. Yeah, yeah. There's some schools of thought that suggest that the more we automate people's jobs and the more we introduce technology into people's jobs, the more that the average IQ of the average labor force participant is going to have to increase. So in other words, you're going to have smarter people and, and people's IQ uh, is going to have to either come up or the economy is going to be more dependent on people with higher IQs because yeah. of the use of technology. So it's sort of like you have to be able to adapt to that. And, and we as organizations and leaders, though, have to ensure that we're providing the tools and the leadership and the, the guidance to help yeah. the labor forces in our respective organizations to, to get there. Um, what about... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say I think so, but it, it you know it should help you make um, better decisions, quicker decisions. You know, um, so you know the person who's doing the put away, you know, okay, they're not doing it anymore, but they might be able to spot issues or, or you know process the data in a different way and add value. It's all about adding more value to the business rather than just doing something that's mundane that a, a machine could do. So I, I think it's it's overall a good thing if we manage it properly. The problem with AI and the way technology is and and society in general is. The changes are too fast today it's like this tomorrow it's like that you know we don't have time to adapt and i think that's where humans uh, on the whole are going to fall down where we try to change you know society changes what our values are and what we think is good and bad it changes almost daily and technology is the same it's, it's it's probably moving ahead too fast or it might do where people can't adapt so that, that's probably the area i see an issue um where we play catch up as humans Right. Whilst the machines are catching up with us, you know, at one point they'll be probably as smart as us. But there's certain things they won't have uh, the ability to do. I hope, um, which is why human intervention um, will still be needed. Yeah, right. yeah. And if you think about it, this is a fear that's been around for decades. You know, when robotics first started gaining prominence in the '80s, you know, there's the fear that robots were going to take over our jobs, and you know, that was 40 years ago and robots have taken over some jobs, but there's still plenty of manufacturing jobs and shop floor workers and people that need to operate the machines and the robots and all that stuff. It's just that their jobs look a lot different now. They're not doing as much manual labor as they did 40 years ago. Um, so they've, you know, they, the, the, the role of a shop floor worker has just changed in 40 years. And that's probably going to be the case for a lot of people, most of us, if not all of us uh, in the coming decades. So I think it's more a matter of how do we change, not so much, are we going to become obsolete? If we don't change, we'll become obsolete. But um, I, I think it's more of the risk is that we just don't adapt to the change along the way. Oh, I um, so. We're here with Dominic Lynn from Third Stage Consulting Europe talking about best practices in supply chain automation and digital transformation. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. When fears are big, that should be small. Who can tell what magic spells we'll be are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. 
This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 118. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here with Dominic Lin talking about best practices in supply chain management in digital transformation. Let's jump back into the conversation. When we think about, so we've talked a lot about change management, and it's hard to talk about change management without talking about business process improvement and business process management. So I want to get to this question here from uh, Aguman on uh, LinkedIn. And Agumon says, according to business process management and supply chain management, do you think that companies who adopted software without BPM could succeed? So in other words, if we if we just simply install new technologies and automate our supply chains, is that is that enough? Will we will we be successful or do we need to go through a broader business process management or business processes initiative uh, improvement initiative to be able to really leverage that value? What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, processes will will change for sure from you know legacy systems to new, and I think that's probably where some of the problems have been, where people try to over-engineer their ERPs to to almost mimic legacy processes. You know, you really want to say, you know, get rid of that, start a new. You know, it won't be wholesale change, uh, you know, unless you do. You know, your processes are terrible and all manual. Um, but yes, yeah, so you have to do that, and and the process re-engineering. I was a process guy years ago. You know, and it's very difficult where you've got a system, people do training, you've got a process map that you've done in Visio, stick it on the wall. It's that process embedding that is, is difficult. But there are tools that, um, you know, help with that. I think someone mentioned Signavio, I think I saw in the chat, you know, and I've worked with that a couple of times, things like that, where you, you've got that process uh, management that goes into a database and it starts to give you proper insights, it's not just a, a picture on a wall. Um, there's guided learning tools. Um, even BPMN, things like that, all that sort of notation where it's database driven uh, are, are good because embedding process is the hardest thing. You, know, you do your training, you've got a new process, people seem to understand it, but then when you go live, those, you know, those processes and thoughts need to be embedded. So you need to have stuff on the fingertips in terms of processes and changes, guided learning at all times. And that's, that's one of the hardest things to do. Um, yeah. So yeah, those, uh, that, that's always the way. So I, I think it's the old classic um, uh, critical success factors, top management support, <laughs> change management, business process re-engineering. It's been the same probably since year dot, you know, and I think I've written a couple of papers on it myself. And, uh, you know, I know you, you're interested in that area as well. Um, you know, that, that is, they are still the key areas. You've got to change properly. You've got to you know, manage your processes or, or change your processes. And um, you've got to have buy-in across the organization. Otherwise, right. so, and I don't think it matters how much technology you get in those things. Technology should be able to help all those areas, uh, maybe not the top management support, but the other areas. But they, right. they, they still are key success factors for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. As for as much as technology has changed, there's a lot about digital transformation, supply chain automation that has not changed as far as what those critical success factors are and what what you need to do to be successful in, a, in any sort of transformation. The good news is that hasn't really changed. But yet organizations still haven't figured out how to do those things well, unfortunately. Um, so just to maybe wrap this all up and, and tie this all together, 
what advice do you typically give to organizations to help them get started on their supply chain automation and digital transformation initiatives? What are sort of those first steps that an organization can take to, you know, figure out where they are in their current state and what they can do to get towards or start to take steps towards that future state of where they want to be? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same for probably any sector, whether it's supply chain or, or you know, across the, the board. It's um, you, you've got to you've got to take time, you know, a little bit of time and planning. Uh, you've got to take time to understand your strategic needs, you know, plan a roadmap, you know, don't just leap into it. Um, do some good current state assessment, review pain points, because um, you'll, you'll find out areas that are sort of upstream and downstream, you know, so you might have areas in warehouse or transport that actually affects your AP system, you know, because they're, they're, they haven't got the data and they, they can't pay your freight invoices. And so, yeah, you really have to take time to see where the impact is upstream, downstream, you know, and that only, you, you can only, you need a few months at least to sort of do a, a, a current state assessment, et cetera, uh, and then set up correctly for success in a program. So you also need to do that. Once you've done that, you can choose your ERP carefully based on your specific needs and size. You know, don't just put in Oracle because someone says it's good or it looks good on your CV. You know, you really need to put in the right systems. Is it in ERP? Do you go blue yonder or E to open for different areas? You know, do you stick with what you've got and just embellish it with, with better apps around it? You know, there's, there's no real shortcut. You know, you have to choose your ERP carefully. Uh, do a decent uh, assessment, feasibility study, if you like. There's no real shortcut to ERP success, you know, and proper proper preparation must be undertaken. So I think that's that's always the case, and you know that's where we want to help help people, and that's kind of the role we do. Um, you know, organisations shouldn't begin any program without understanding those complexities and what skills you need in house. You know, what what the SIs and integrators won't do, and data migration, data management. So that strategy, what your transformation benefits are, all those need to be mapped out first. Um, you know to enable the correct planning and budgeting, et cetera. So your business vision, your ERP strategy must align, and then you can leverage the power of ERP to make true business gains, you know, or what is the point otherwise? It has to has to have, has to to have make sense, it has to add benefit, um, or, or why bother? Might as well stay doing what you're doing. Right, yeah, absolutely. Very much agree with you on that. And that's why, you know, looking at the, future state business processes, the future state organization, the future state technological roadmap, all that stuff and taking the time up front to plan that out and to have a clear and concise plan on how you're going to do that all is, is so important. Um, just a couple of closing comments here from the audience. These are really great comments. So I don't want to overlook them or, or wrap up without getting to them. Uh, Joanna on LinkedIn uh, says that the new processes should be taught alongside the new button presses getting learners into one iteration of training to understand how to operate effectively at go live. And that's a great point that training can be a way to reinforce and to um, clarify what a new business process is going to look like, not just how to push the buttons, not just how to do the stuff in the technology, but all the other stuff that we've talked about in this conversation around, um, you know, if we're going to focus on environmental, environmental sustainability and choosing the right vendor, or, or supplier, or if we're going to look at cost or quality, or we're going to shift the way that we manage our supply chain, those are obviously process improvements that we also need to bake into the training that shows people how they're going to do their jobs uh, within the technology as well. Yeah, and, and that's why the business should sort of build the training packs based on maybe your UAT, because there's system processes, which I think we're defining, but there's also business processes. They're not necessarily the same thing. A business process contains system processes, probably, and vice versa. So 
like that that's quite key and and some of these things around like signavio and, and the guided learning you get shouldn't just be system processes what to press it's really how does that dovetail into an overall business process and other right. workflows and things like that so yeah it's a, it's a good point and there are you know guided learning all those sort of things should help with that um training is i always find training yeah, even when it's done well you know it, yeah, unless you go live straight away people forget and you have to keep re retraining so some of these tools and process tools and guided learning do help right good question yep. yeah and there's uh you know obviously if you're in europe that's something that dominic and i can help you with if you're a european organization or if you're in other parts of the world we've got offices in in uh, north america as well as asia pacific so depending on where in the world you are, that's something the third stage can help with. We're independent technology agnostic. So that's a way to get more of an objective advisory support uh, level uh, in, in helping with your supply chain and digital transformation. Um, and then we'll get, this is, this will be the last question we get to just in the interest of time. It's from Sam Graham and leave it to Sam to give us a really good closing question here. One last question. Is it true that Elvis is still alive and working in a third stage office somewhere? I can't confirm. I can't confirm or deny that. Uh, that's all I'll say to that uh, right now. And uh, and uh, John Lennon as well. We were talking about John Lennon before we we went live here. And uh, John Lennon is also might also be working at a third stage office somewhere, um, alive and well, of course. They are, yeah. They are for sure. Probably in Europe. Probably in our UK office, right? That's probably where they, where they would be. All right. Thank you, Dominic. And thank you to the audience for the great questions and engagement in that conversation. Really appreciate all the feedback and input. That adds a lot of commentary or a lot of color to the conversation. So really appreciate that. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll debrief on some of the threads that we covered with Dominic here just a moment ago. And then later in the show, stay tuned because we'll have uh, Adam Cheatham on the show. He's going to be on to talk about SAP implementation failures and more specifically the SAP failure epidemic that we're experiencing worldwide here at the moment. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 118. My name is Eric Hamberling here with Kyler Cheatham. And Kyler, we just had Dominic Lynn on the show, and he talked about some best practices in supply chain automation and digital transformation. It's been not too long since Dominic's been on the show, but it's been a certain amount of time since he's been here. But what, what were some of your takeaways from that conversation? Oh, yeah. Um, well, definitely an expert um, in supply chain automation just in general. Don Dominic does such a good job at that readiness piece to really kind of break down each process. Um, and as he said, obviously supply chain management has really come to the forefront. As you guys were talking, it made me think about 
and maybe it's just, you know, the, the mom and me, you could have like a perfectly clean house. And then you go into your child's room and you open the closet door and you're like, what is happening in here? And it reminds me a lot of what's happened to the, the supply chain. Like it used to be kind of a siloed piece of the business that was, if there was some breakage in it, if there was some inefficiencies, it wasn't, you know, the worst thing in the world. But now it's become the forefront of the need for visibility within the organization. Um, and so you have to have a healthy supply chain because there's so many other things that are influenced by that or that could be broken that we hadn't really experienced in the last five, 10 years. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting how supply chain management is so well understood or becoming more understood by mainstream people that aren't even in our industry. You know, they aren't in technology or consulting and they still understand supply chain management. It's also still misunderstood, I would say. Um, I'm sure many people listening to this podcast right now are still experiencing situations where someone somewhere is blaming the supply chain for some you know, delivery problem they have, uh, or they might still be blaming COVID too, which is another interesting one that people still blame COVID in the supply chain for any anything that goes wrong in the world. Instead of blaming it on the brain, they blame the supply, supply chain. So it's always, you know, there's a lot of pressure, I'd say, on supply chain managers and supply chains in general uh, to actually perform. And I think supply chains get wrongly accused or blamed for many of the world's problems, although, you know, it certainly did contribute to many of the world's problems and still is in many ways, but I think it's taking a, a, un, a you know, a, a larger share of the blame than it should, but still, still an important topic for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where it's so unique to the organization. And I think that's what, you know, Dominic was saying, he, you know, he's a, a very talented consultant and you could see he was hesitant to saying, well, you might use automation if that makes sense for you. And you might use AI if that makes sense for you, because it is so important to have that full understanding and that, that full data around what is our current state and are we even ready to consume these new emerging technologies. Because many times, like you had just talked about earlier in the episode, they are not a silver bullet and they will not fix operational problems within the organization. They will actually make it worse if you're not ready for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to totally agree. You've got to be just like any transformation. You need to plan it. You need to have a deliberate strategy. You need to be aligned in your strategy. You need to have a realistic plan. You have to have a complete plan. I mean, there's so many things that we talked about in that conversation that are relevant to any sort of digital transformation, not just supply chain automation. Exactly. And I, I think um, in Dominic's case study that we did a, a few few weeks back when we talked about um, vessel distribution, he really went through kind of the mapping out of what you'd need as far as a, a shipping industry. And I learned a ton from him because that's what our consultants do is really kind of dive in and become experts on the operations of the business so that you can bring out those efficiency nuggets or opportunities um, as well. Um, but such a great conversation and and thank you for sharing that insight and thank you to, to Dominic for um, all the great insight um, that he shared as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to, good to have him on the show and uh, with time zones and whatnot, sometimes it's difficult to get him on here, but uh, it was great to have him on and uh, he's, he's uh He's always a good guest to have, and he had some uh, fairly strong opinions uh, to help us resolve and settle the uh, Beatles versus Elvis debate. I was just well. about to say the highlight of the interview was when he said Elvis in his leathers. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then he did a 180 and just said Rolling Stones. So none know, of the right? above. I'm going with Rolling Stones. So, so you can that. put Rolling Stones here if that can be. We can do an A, B, and C choice. Um, so if that's something that that you want to change your answer, you're you're permitted to do that at this point. Right. 
That's funny. I'll have to do a LinkedIn poll on that. You know, I do LinkedIn oh, polls. Sure. I try to do yeah. one a week or so. And uh, maybe my next one will be Beatles versus Elvis. See what, see what people think. But um, well, good. Well, thank you for uh, that debrief there. That's great, great stuff. And uh, thank you again to Dominic for being here and to the audience for the great questions as well. Uh, we've got one more guest left for you. A, a great topic that I'm, I'm excited to, to listen in on. Uh, this is going to be Adam Cheatham, uh, Managing Director at Third Stage Consulting. I'm Kyler. Because you don't spend enough time with him, being married to him, and living in the same house as him, uh, it's uh, only appropriate, only fitting that you spend a little bit more time with him and interview him and ask him a bunch of really hard questions mm -hmm. about SAP implementation failures. So we, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, we have a lot of experience helping clean up SAP implementation failures, and we have uh, several or a handful at the moment that are have gone off track and therefore we've been hired to help get them back on track. And we also act as an expert witness in many of these SAP implementation lawsuits as well. So we have a lot of good lessons learned and, and things to take away from these failures. And that's part of what we'll talk about here with Adam here in a moment. But before uh, you bring out Adam onto the show, we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 118. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. Our next guest is Adam Cheatham, who is a managing director at Third Stage Consulting. He's based here in Colorado in the U.S., same place as Kyler and myself and where Third Stage headquarters is globally. Um, so we had Dominic on from Europe a few minutes ago from our European office. Now we're going to bring it here to the North America where Kyler and I are from to, to bring our next guest on to talk about SAP implementation failures. And this is a topic that I take a lot of, uh, a lot of interest in. And uh, Kyler, we're, we're referring to this as the SAP implementation failure epidemic. Um, what are your thoughts there? Is this, uh, you think that's because there's so many Im implementation failures have, happening at the moment that it's not just a, a pattern now and now it's a, a full-blown epidemic. Is that is that where I do? I do from? think, and and you know, you can at me in the comments if you want here, but I do think that there is a significant amount of businesses, especially because of the shifting in the industry, that had undergone a, a large transformation project, and it's either in the yellow or it it has failed in in um in the process, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a, it's kind of how it works, and unfortunately. That's something that a lot of companies have experienced and had to create, you know, a strategy around rehabilitating an SAP implementation project is a main trend that we see in the industry. Yes. And in fact, we had uh, Marcus Harris on, who's an attorney, a software attorney that's been on, he's been on the show a few times now. And he was on 
I, he's been on so many times now, I can't remember which conversation this was, but at one point he was on the show. And if you search in our playlist on YouTube, you can search Marcus Harris and you'll, you'll find the three or four episodes that he's been on if you want to go back and watch any of these. But there's one in particular where we talk about digital transformation failures, why they happen from a legal perspective. And one of the things we talk about in that episode is that there is indeed an increase in failures happening right now. Um, if you look at his practice, if you look at our expert witness practice, if you look at the the volume of revenue that we as a company are getting from uh, implementation failures relative to Greenfield new implementations, that is shifting to where there's becoming more and more as a percentage of our revenue, it's becoming more uh, centric or, or more focused on on failures. So I think you you look at some of these data points, and and uh, there's a lot of a lot of data that suggests that the implementation uh, rates are increasing. The failure rates are increasing not only for SAP but for other vendors as well. It just so happens that SAP is leading the charge with their big customers and their big massive S4 HANA solution that's more complex than a lot of other systems out there, and that those two things combined big customers, complex solution equals higher failure typically. So um, that's, that's what we want to talk about here, here with Adam is uh, some lessons from these failures. And, and ideally, and really what we want to talk about is how you can avoid them because a lot of these failures, even though that's, you mentioned, that's the way it is, it is the way it is, but it doesn't need to be that way. You know, a lot of organizations are making the same mistakes that they don't need to be making. They should have learned these lessons 10, 20, 30 years ago with past technology implementations, but they haven't. So our goal is here to maybe unpack some of those lessons learned so you can avoid some of those same failures as well. So with all that being said, I'll turn it over to you, Kyler, to, to take the discussion from here with Adam. Well, thanks, Eric. Excellent. Well, welcome, Adam. Let's get into it. So real quick, our audience obviously knows you pretty well, but if you could just state your position and kind of your role here at Third Stage just for an opener for this conversation about SAP implementation failure. Yeah, so my name is Adam Cheatham. I'm Managing Director at Third Stage Consulting Group. I've been with Third Stage uh, about five years now. Um, and at this point, my role is to help make sure that we're scoping projects well and that our clients are getting the level of service and delivery that they deserve. Uh, I'm responsible for just about every single one of our projects in one way or another, making sure that they're successful. Absolutely. And you have the fun role of triaging really hard or complex projects too, which often lies in the same sort of talk track as a failed SAP implementation. Is that correct? It is. You know, we uh, we have a number of SAP implementations ongoing right now with a variety of roles with each of them. Um, and those implementations are, uh, some of them are just at the beginning, so not at a remediation state. Um, others are, uh, we've been brought into uh, midstream to help um, projects that are a little bit sideways and see what we can't do to get them across the finish line successfully. So we do a lot of different types of work, uh, whether it's SAP implementations or, or other complex implementations for organizations. And we find a variety of different ways of, of adding value uh, through our PMO, mission control PMO methodology. Well, first and foremost, happy five-year anniversary. Um, before we really get into the meat of this project, um, third it's been stage. Been a fun year for that, yeah. Yeah, third stage is celebrating um, our five-year anniversary, which Adam has been there since the very beginning and seen um, our growth on the Inc. 5000 list um, and a lot of different expansions throughout the team. So, congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. So. 
So I think we should clarify this conversation. Is failure, an implementation failure, a project in the yellow sideways, as you kind of said, is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, right. And can you talk a little bit about like the lessons you can learn from failures or how you've seen companies go through a failed implementation multiple times and now they have a, a very successful project? Yeah, I, I think that <clears throat> the key there is that um, Yellow is not a failing implementation. It's a uh, uh, many, many implementations have yellow statuses across different work streams on the whole, and that's okay. Um, the goal is to see the problems as they come up and address them. So you see mm -hmm. a problem that which may have an impact that causes a yellow status. And once that yellow status gets recognized, you find ways of turning it back to green. Uh, we have that that's pretty normal. And mm -hmm. even red status is is normal in any implementation on certain work streams. We're going to have this is going to have a timeline impact. This is going to have a timeline impact. You're moving a lot of components all at once, and it's it's just not realistic to expect it to be all green all the way. Um, so if somebody is telling you that you're all green all the way and you're on an SAP implementation, uh, be ready for surprises because they will mm -hmm. come. Um, the idea is to track and understand issues and risks so that you can properly disposition them and, and make sure that they're getting handled. So the way that we approach a lot of those implementations is to understand where those challenges are and help create risk mitigation tactics for shoring them up and, and moving things along. Absolutely, and, and that's a, a really important piece of what we do here at Third Stage because of our technology agnostic and independent status. Mm -hmm. um, our dedication is truly to the business objectives of our clients with the use of new technology. So it's an interesting kind of situation we have in the marketplace. And speaking of interesting situations, you've been on a number of expert witness cases when it comes to a failed implementation. So you've kind of seen it where it can be in that yellow status, where it might not be tracking directly in the green, but we can still kind of shift it back to the polarized opposite of that, where you are actually involved in little litigation around a failed implementation or something like that. So I know you can't talk a ton about your expert witness work, but can you kind of give us an overview of, of what kind of projects you've seen there from a theme standpoint? Um. Yeah, the expert witness work is it always has there's always a, a, a number of variety. I'm going to just start that sentence over because okay. I'm tripping over my mouth right now. Um, when we look at our expert witness cases, there are always a variety of different reasons that those implementations fail. Uh, and there's lots of finger pointing going on. The truth of the matter is often that both sides have had challenges along the way. Um, and no side is 100% completely right in those scenarios where client and provider tend to both contribute to the problem. Um, usually the provider sets an expectation which is unrealistic and the client doesn't have the, the wherewithal or the capability or capacity to be able to keep up with things. And those types of things can be exacerbated um, in some cases by a variety of bad habits not reporting accurate status, right? Um, so many of these projects in expert witness cases, for example, SAP implementations included, go from green to red, and it happens overnight. And I see that as an indicator of not the project status, but poor project management. Mm -hmm. um, 
Did the sky fall yesterday? Did it fall on you and everything else yesterday? You learned about this at no indicators that this was happening. Mm -hmm. It's possible that the answer to that question is yes. Is it probable? Not at all. That 99.9% .9 of the time, the sky has not fallen. There have been indicators along the way, and there may have even been people saying, this isn't right. Something doesn't feel right here. And at third stage, one of the things that we, we do, not just from an expert witness perspective, but from um, a project PMO perspective, remediation, and those types of tactics, is to be clear and objective in the way that we provide our feedback. Um, if we see something that's not being accurately reported in the mm -hmm. middle of a project, we're out to call that out. We feel responsible to do that because of the, the weight of our position and the agnosticism of, of our position as well. We not, are not only agnostic and independent in the idea that we're not here to tell you things that benefit us from uh, you should do this or that, but we also need to make sure that we are providing feedback and accurate updates based on the reality of the situation, whether or not that causes problems. Now, in my opinion, if the, if the status isn't being accurately uh, accurately portrayed to the, uh, the, the right stakeholders, then that's the problem, not the message that you're not looking like you think you are. Problem is that people are telling you the wrong things. Mm -hmm. It's our it's our responsibility to bring those those problems up when we see them, and we have a variety of SAP implementations where we we say those things out loud. Um, I have one ongoing implementation right now where you know the 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 conversation moves around the concept of do we have the right people in the right seats? Mm -hmm. And client asked us that the other day. Do we have the right people in the right seats? And we had a tough conversation about that, which people were right for which seats. Mm -hmm. And you know that that client appreciated that candor. It's important because if you don't say it out loud and just leave the wrong people in those seats, you will continue to underperform. Yeah, definitely. And that, you know, that's such an important position to hold. Not always the most fun, <laughs> um, but it's, you know, an important position. And that's really the meat of this conversation when we talk about the epidemic of failed implementations is the understanding that there is a lot of misinformation in the industry, especially when it comes to our vendor partners that aren't accurately reporting or the organization doesn't have the resources to accurately report the overall health of the project. And that's a lot of times when third stage gets called in because they're like your, your tough love um, coach or something like that, because they're, they're able, they're going to tell you the truth, no matter, you know, if you want to hear it or not. Um, so that that's a, a definitely an interesting position to be in. So Adam, when we talk about SAP, particularly, we've done a lot of thought leadership on covering very high profile SAP implementation failures with large global companies like Nike, um, Revlon, those types of different pieces. Okay, we're here with Adam Cheatham, and we're talking about the SAP implementation failure epidemic and what you can do about it to avoid some of these failure points. We're going to get back into the conversation. We've got a lot more to cover. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. 
Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Transformation Ground Control, episode number 118. You can find new episodes of this podcast every Wednesday on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here with Adam Cheatham talking about SAP implementation failure epidemic and what you can do about it and some lessons learned from the recent and ongoing SAP implementation failures that we're experiencing in the marketplace right now. So let's turn it back over to you, Kyler and Adam. So do you see in your day-to-day work that SAP fails more often than not? And is that just because they're very high profile companies or what's kind of the behind the scenes look of SAP failure rates? Um, I, I think it's it's important to realize that I, I, I don't think SAP implementations fail at a higher rate than others given a couple of particular variables, right? The size and complexity of SAP as a software package is significant. That makes it more complicated. That makes it more difficult to implement well because there are more opportunities for things to come apart. Um, you compare that to a, a software package like NetSuite, for example. Um, SAP implementations go 18, 24, 36, 60 months. And that's mm-hmm. not unheard of. That's not unrealistic to have a five-year SAP implementation. We have a client right now that is expecting that. And that's okay. They're a global organization, highly complex. Lots of opportunities for failure. Does that mean that they that they fail at a higher rate? I think that's a difficult thing to say mm-hmm. because if you compare that to, say, for example, a NetSuite implementation for a smaller set of companies that implements in 100 days, Three and a half months. That's a fraction of the amount of time to screw things up. <laughs> and a simpler puts you in the box, this is how it's built type of package. Um, it's meant for a different type of company, right? So when you look at the complexity and the size of those software packages in and of themselves, that's one side. Of it. The other side of that is the actual client that's implementing it. If you're not a very large, highly sophisticated, highly complex organization, you're not going to buy SAP. Mm-hmm. So though you have high, large, highly complex software, large, highly complex company, and you put them together and they, they just create a scenario that has lots of opportunities for challenges, which requires a much more attuned program management office to tracking all of those things. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't buy SAPS for HANA. It just means that when you walk into that, you should know that what that means you're doing, right? Um, you're, you put me in a daily driver and I'll do fine in a car. 
you put me in a Formula One race car and I probably wouldn't know how to turn it on, let alone drive. And then you want me to learn and then drive it fast. <laughs> it's just, it's a different set of circumstances. So I think that's important to, to understand. And SAP um, is, is at the top of the list of the, the biggest, most complex software packages, but Oracle ERP Cloud, um, Microsoft Dynamics 365, Finance and Operations, Infor with their variety of projects and products are all highly complex packages that take quite a long time to implement. So the longer you're, you're under the hood, the more opportunities that you have for failure, which means that you have to be more correct along the way and more diligent in the way that you manage those things. Well, knowing the the car knowledge that you have, I'm quite sure that you'd be able to drive um, that race car. So just a little a little note there that you could absolutely do that probably. Let's but... test that theory. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Well, I think all of those are, are really good insight. I wonder when it comes to SAP and the complexities like you mentioned, how important and influential are the partners that you have involved the system integrators, um, all of those different kind of technical support um, positions. It's critically important. You know, it's um, there. There are a lot of different challenges with the software package, and having somebody who is an expert in it develop it for you is important. That's a that's a significant advantage, is is at least the best way of saying it. Because without that, you are working on something that likely. Maybe not likely, but you might be working with somebody that's never done this before, especially um, if the the software package is newer, right? S4 HANA is a bit more proven in the marketplace than many others. Um, so there's more experienced folks that have implemented it multiple times. But you also have to remember with a product that's been implemented that takes up to five years to implement on a global scale, how many times could some people have implemented that? You know, repetition helps with memory, right? So there's a complexity to how many times you can implement a software package and how much experience you can have. Um, but if I had a year's worth of experience in writing code for, for SAP, that two years, three years, that actually starts to sound pretty good. And then you start to think, right, but is that enough to get all the way through a full implementation? Do you, have I, when I tell you I have, three years of implementation experience in this and writing code for your functional area, does that mean that I've ever seen software go live? The answer may still be no, right? This, um, I would hope not at that point. You know, you start to get to the point where folks are able to represent actual experience with going live, but it's, it's worth asking the question because it does sometimes take that long. So with that, SAP specifically S4 HANA isn't that old. You know, it's still, you know, going through the maturity. So how do you ensure that you pick and select the right partner that has that experience? Yep. Yeah, so SAP S4 HANA, according to Google, uh, was first released in 2015. That's eight years ago. Most software packages take about 30 years to mature. Right, so you could say that that package is on the front end of that. The ECC 6, 30-year-old platform. Oracle EBS, 30-year platform. 
I mean, there's a lot of development that happens in 30 years, right? So mm -hmm. um, that's something that's worth acknowledging. So when you start thinking about partners and their and their qualifications, I think that a number of things are important. Number one is the capability to handle your project on a um, on the scale that it needs to be handled. I have a a, um, a challenge right now with a program that was started up during COVID and it was designed to be implemented entirely remotely and that has changed but the system integrator is unable to travel as well as we would hope that they can and that creates challenges how do you understand somebody and their business processes if you can't sit down face to face in a room with them um can you do it yeah sure you can understand it but do you get more out of that face-to-face -face interaction Yes, and if you start that face-to-face -face interaction midstream, does that add disruption to your project now? It does. So key components of that. I think that we're seeing a wave of, of implementation challenges in S4HANA in particular because of the, the complexity that she tried to, to take on from a remote fashion. And two years ago, which is not unrealistic to say that an S4HANA implementation that started two years ago would still be ongoing, started in the middle of pandemic. Mm -hmm. What does that look like today? Very, very different. So mm -hmm. you have to think about those things and what your partner capabilities and qualifications are. I also think it's important to consider two additional things. Number one, especially with products that might be less mature uh, than the S4 platform, uh, you, you have to consider the client's experience uh, with software packages as well as the vendor's experience and the system integrator's experience in their in, in the client's industry. Mm -hmm. Some industries can be pretty basic. Um, S4HANA doesn't play in basic, right? So those types of what is my industry and what is the space that I play in and how do I find a partner that understands that is critically important. Um, I think it's also important as you think about the partners that you choose, their completeness of package. Um, many S4 implementers are very technically adept, and that's a good thing, but they are not good at anything else. They'll tell you they'll run change management for you and your PMO, and they'll run your business process, re-engineering practices, and all that, and none of that actually happens in practice. It's important to have people with core competencies in all areas that can supplement each other. And this is a space that Third Stage helps a lot of these clients in that are implementing S4HANA where there's a technical aptitude. Yeah, that's important. And we're, we appreciate that our system integrator partners bring those things together. But there's a PMO nature to this that's required that helps the client manage the system integrator as well as themselves as uh, there's that key component of it there's change management which many system integrators will offer but are not good at they say here is your new practice here is your new process um and that's we communicated to that's mm -hmm. change management that's not change management it's not even close and so having somebody that can work through that and set the right expectations and communicate well throughout the project is a key component to those types of successes Knowing somebody can understand your business processes and translate that to a technical integrator. Those types of advisory services uh, from a process perspective are also important. And having the right people with competencies in those spaces 
is, is more important than having one company that says they can do all of them. I would rather have five companies that can cover one PMO, one change management, one processes, one technical, and then the client. Um, and that and create a network with that and use that the strengths of those individuals as force multipliers, then say I can get it all from one and say they're good at this one thing and the rest of the, those those things because they come from one shop will be good enough. That's a mm -hmm. that's a pretty significant risk to take on. Well, thank you, Adam and Kyler. Great conversation and very interesting, very eye opening. And hopefully the audience has taken away some advice and tips on how to avoid some of the failures that organizations are seeing with their SAP implementation failures, as well as just digital transformation challenges and failures in general. Uh, we have a lot more uh, content related to SAP implementations and SAP implementation failures. If you go to my YouTube channel, uh, that's a topic that I cover quite a bit more from an expert witness perspective, as well as a project recovery perspective. So if you're looking for some of the lessons in addition to what Adam and what Adam and Kyler just talked about, um, you can find that on my YouTube channel. So be sure to check that out as well. And uh, another thing is you can download our guide to SAP implementations too. Uh, it's a guide to best practices on how to implement S4 HANA successfully. And we have these sorts of guides for other vendors as well. We have it for Oracle and for Microsoft Dynamics, uh, a general lessons from lessons from over a thousand ERP implementation ebook. There's a lot of different resources on our website that are meant to help you avoid some of the failures that Adam and Kyler talked about, or some of the failure points that Adam and Kyler talked about. So be sure to check that out on our website as well for more, for more information there. So uh, thank you everyone for joining here today. That's, that's all we've got for you today. We'll see you again next Wednesday, same time, same place, YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms. Be sure to check us out there and leave us a review. If you don't mind, we'd love to hear your comments about the podcast, what you like about it, what you don't like, what you'd like to see on the podcast, all that good stuff. And if you leave us a review or a thumbs up on wherever you're watching, that certainly helps the algorithm push this content out to more people. So we really appreciate that in advance. Hope you all have a great week and we'll see you next week on Transformation Ground Control. Tech innovations. Try that again. <clears throat> I wish our, our house actually looked like your background and you were playing the, what is that, like a ukulele back there? Hello, welcome to all day. Solid start. <clears throat> mm -hmm.